Hi, welcome to episode eight of Holding Unfolding, a podcast about facilitation. I am Abby Olton. I use she, her pronouns. I'm located on Lenape lands in New York City. And this week I have a conversation with Zed and David O'Connor from the Agile Learning Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the conversation is a little bit about facilitation and their Agile Learning Center, but we also get to talk a bunch about video games and road trip adventures and lessons and just generally what their experience has been over the past year and a half as folks who are um, parent and child and facilitators and learners in a self-directed community you know that is is their agile learning center and in the broader community so um it was a really fun conversation and a really delightful uh, sort of interview. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So let's get into it. Great. Um, so hi. Hi. Thanks. Welcome. It's good to see you. Good you to too. see you. Hi. Um, so can we just get started with introductions? I'm going to give your names, your pronouns, and where you're at in the world. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, my name is Zed. Um, I go by they, them pronouns. They, them, theirs. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, and I am a student at Philly ALC in Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> yeah, I'm David and I, you see him pronouns, I'm Zed's parent and I'm a Agile Learning Facilitator at Philly ALC. In Philly, PA. <laughs> and you were both there at the founding of the school, right? You yeah. Were part yes. Of mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, we were there um, for one year then mm -hmm. during, uh, about two thirds of the way into our second year, we went home because of a virus and then uh, stayed and the, the, we stayed at home. Our family stayed at home through yeah. this entire past school year, except for the last few weeks where- Where I Zed have been into, going in person. Yeah, a few days a week. And we just wrapped up, um, the school just wrapped up its third year yesterday. Ooh, yay. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Looks so exciting. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your roles in the ALC community, both officially and like as people who've been there for a minute. Yeah, um, I think that I'm one of the sort of leading founders where there's a uh, you know, large group of families that founded the school together. And that I was one of the people, I think, driving the, the logistics of getting everything started, along with Gene Finley, mostly. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a, a really kind of exciting, fun time to get everything going and started. And 
then I was in ALF for a couple years, um, or the first the first year and a half for sure. And then um, when we decided not to come back this year, I've been taking a, a large step back from the school, still helping out with some back-end administrative things um, and uh, helping with some offerings once in a while. But, um, and then next year I'll be back full-time and we'll be back in the building full-time and excited to be back alfing. <laughs> what, what would you say your role is in the school um... in addition to a student? In addition to a student, um, I would think my role in the school is kind of a little bit all over the place. I think at school I have done a little bit of everything. I have, I have helped with cleanup, I have helped with conflict resolution, I have helped with agreements and stuff. I don't feel like I have a set role, like I do this one thing. I feel like I am just someone who pitches in and helps out when there is something that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Are there specific things that I'm thinking about, like when new kids come into this space? Do you have um particular things that you like to offer or share with them to help them get settled and oriented um sometimes yes i feel like more often than not when a new kid comes in i will be one of the kids to help them find their way around the school get settled in and whatnot um, and then explain how everything works. And oftentimes kids are very confused and puzzled by all of it. But I, I feel like me and the other students and the ALFs help them understand. Um, but if a new kid were to come in, I would probably hang out with them for a day, maybe half a day. I don't know. <laughs> um well thanks yeah is that the kind of information you're mm -hmm. looking for or I mean sometimes I know I'm watching with new kids when they come in if they you know find their way around and I've got certain kind of back pocket activities where I'm like oh I can always offer like let's go into the maker space or let's go to the park and those are my two kind of default activities but I understand the way I'm thinking about that as an adult is different, right? So I was curious, because I know like that I've seen you in social spaces and have seen you take that more proactive kind of leadership role. I know I am very methodical, but was just curious. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, I, what I think Z is uh, about how you talk about and advocate for the school, how you're able to, I don't know, talk to a, adults in a way that they're less threatened than when I talk to them about the school somehow. <laughs> Where if you hear it coming from a kid, somehow it, it makes more sense. It, it's my charm, it's my, my charm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's partly true. Well, I will attest to your charisma, it's true. That was not meant to happen. I just, yeah, I do love moments where like, we're talking to people about the school and I watch Z sort of assess the person they're talking to and then they give them the amount of information that they're ready to hear you know, and kind of translate in the moment what needs to, what needs to be heard. I am a good conversator. 
Were you always a good conversationalist? Yes and no. I was good with having conversations with people who I knew better. But then we get to like every Easter we go to our my second cousin's house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we go to our second cousin's house for um, Easter. I remember every single year when I was younger than I am right now, um, I think up until like the age of seven, I was always so shy and not down for conversation until I got the camp. Until you got to Camp Stomping Ground? No, until I got the candy. Oh, the candy. I thought you said the camp. I was like, what magical camp? (laughs) (laughs) So what changed? Do you recall? Because I've only ever known you as very confident in groups. What changed about my personality? Um, Hmm. Not much has really changed. I feel like I've just been more open to like talking with people than I have in the past. Yeah, I wonder, I'm thinking about your Easter story and that you're shy until you get the candy. And I wonder- I was making that more as a a joke, but- Yeah, no, totally. But the, I know what you mean. And I don't know you as shy very, very much. But when I think of like that place, there's a lot of people there that we see you know, once a year that you don't really know. And also we hang out with a lot of people who are, you know, we typically hang out with and surround ourselves with people who are, have, have, have a certain worldview, I think, and, and kind of see the world pretty openly. And I feel like that in that group, like the, the company is a little bit more mixed in that way. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a feeling that you have a sense of like, you know, like that is a space where it, maybe it takes a little while to like understand that everyone's cool there and that you can like totally open up and, and be yourself and that, you know, um, I like that we spend time in and also make spaces where people can kind of be themselves, hopefully. At least that's what we try to do. Hmm. Yeah. I feel that way about you, you, that first Unitarian where we go a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a place where I just feel like you walk in, no hesitation, right? You're like yourself right from walking in. Yeah. Can I poke at that a little? What makes you feel like a space is a place where you can bring your whole self? And are there things you do when you're running spaces or holding spaces to make them feel more that way for other people? Well, I don't know which section of that question to start on, so I'm just going to start with the the first. Um, If I am in, I feel like if I am in a group and I feel like I can be myself, that's great. But the way I think that I feel like I can do that is um, asking people questions about stuff. Usually I'll introduce myself, or as of more recently, I've been introducing myself more oftenly with they, them pronouns and haven't gotten any really severe 
to moderate things about it. Um, nothing bad. Nothing bad, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I feel like if I think that if I just have, like, the g- gut feeling that, like, oh, these people seem pretty cool and they seem pretty open and pretty open-minded then that's when I will think that um I can really be myself I don't feel like there's a space where I feel like I can't really be myself that's good that makes sense yeah sometimes we walk into a space like the barbershop the other day you know we walked in saying they and them and even like when they were asking about my son, I, you know, corrected them about my child, but they didn't get it. They weren't listening for it or, you know, or they were pushing back against it, you know, but, uh, but then we didn't, you know, push it. They were very kind and, and welcoming and warm and otherwise, right. And we didn't make that moment about that, but I was, you know, kind of like looking for your cues there. And I wasn't sure if you were waiting for me to step in or if you were like, eh, this isn't that place. Yeah, I don't feel like a barber shop is the place where I have to like say, oh, hey, I use they, them pronouns. And because it's only like 90 minutes and I'm probably not going to see that person again ever. I mean, it is good to feel comfortable, even if it is for 90 minutes, but like, eh. It's a decent amount of energy that I'm not willing to put in. Well, barbershops are a really interesting example. Um, there's whole studies, right, on the like culture of different kinds of barbershops. And that's a big deal here, you know, especially for my friends who are non-binary or trans or even when I've had really short hair, trying to figure out like which barbershops is it safe for me to go into and which ones are like, you know, not going to be unsafe, like dangerous, but like, am I going to be made, you know, harassed and made to feel uncomfortable in, you know, and trying to parse that. And there's little things like if someone has the right sticker or greets me in a certain way, you know, I like don't know for sure, but I'm like, oh, maybe this is a safer space, you know? So what have you been up to while you were home this year? Um, so Philly LC has been doing a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot of online stuff. Um, so I was doing that for like a solid, I want to say six to seven and a half-ish months. Um, just tuning in whenever I can to stuff that sounds interesting. Um, my dad made me try to do one offering a day, which is, I do think I should have done better at that, but I was like, eh, it's quarantine. Eh, it's, it's whatever. And then for like the past three, four months ish, I don't know. Um, I've base we've basically been like homeschooling. Um, not really tuning into any online offerings, but not going in person either. Meeting up with friends from school at like parks every now and then. 
did that like once, actually. That's about all we've really been doing in quarantine Zoom meetings. What kind of Zoom meetings? You said you go to, you went to some of the online offerings. Were there any super interesting ones? I remember there was this one about learning how to drive a car. And my questions were not at all about cars. It was all completely about what to look out for on the road, like traffic laws, um, stuff like that. And I had a really fun time talking with the Alps about that. Another one that stands out, um, my dad here, Pat, 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 um, did a decent amount of, and when I say decent, I mean like once or twice a week, maybe, um, crash course offerings like NPR crash course. That's not what it is, right? A crash course. I'm no, crash, uh, PBS. PBS. I think hosts of the crash course now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we did like crash course anatomy and physiology, um, crash course computer science, uh, a lot of government and politics, a lot of crash course government and politics. And then we on our own one summer did, um, or last summer, we did a good amount of crash course US history. So I remember that being. A pretty big thing we did. And one more thing that I have a pretty good memory of um, from all of this quarantine stuff, like I said earlier, trying to get to do offerings once a day. And when you're not in person and like with other kids and more alphs. That is surprisingly difficult. Well, it wasn't really difficult. I'm just, I just procrastinated on that. I was like, hey, instead of doing this, I'm going to stream on Twitch or do, or play Minecraft until four in the morning. I feel like that last one gave ALC a bad image. <laughs> um, Why is that? I feel like it's portraying kids who can do whatever they want can and will only play video games all day, which is partially true, but I'm not going to say it's completely true. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about? About the tendency, which I think is accurate, of many kids when they're allowed to do what they want to do, might default to playing video games a lot, maybe a lot, a lot, and particularly during a quarantine, maybe you know, eight hours a day or more. <laughs> wink, wink. No, no wink. Just actually, right? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's true. Yeah. Well, there are like no screen days, half screen days. And um, I'm not sure if any other ALCs do that. Um, does ALC NYC do that? We don't. We're very pro screens, pro screen use. But I wonder if um, the more helpful way to frame the question would be to zoom back in to your own experience and ask, like, how did it feel to be able to take whole days to play video games and do that? I will say it is a lot, a lot of like 
oh, I'm, I know I'm very tired, but I want to stay up later and play with friends, but I only get to stay up past midnights on Fridays. And, oh, I should eat lunch. I'm going to go eat lunch. And then friends are like, no, don't go eat lunch. We need to play video games. And I'm like, but lunch. And they're like, but video games. It's a lot of, like, joy when you get a good outcome in the video game and then a little bit of annoyance when you actually need to get real world stuff done. Did you manage to go eat lunch? Often, yes. Often I would not say I'm going to go eat lunch. I would say I'm going to go on mute so that they would be they wouldn't have to question what I'm doing or or they wouldn't <laughs> that uh, that no, that totally, that's such that, a good tactic. That completely makes sense. If you notice that, like, I'm, when I bring this idea to the group, uh, that it causes tension that is kind of BS. And so this time I'm going to sidestep the need to even deal with that tension and just give a more ambiguous answer exactly. that no one cares about. Exactly. And you get what you need, to, you know? I like you, you have a need and you had to try different tactics to get it. That's great. Yep. So then I would go make myself a grilled cheese without the grilled part. Because it's quick. It's quick. It's eh. Anyway, that was off topic. No, it's perfect. I'm hearing like your awareness of your needs and the role that being able to socialize plays. And so you're trying to figure out like, how do you get your needs met? Um, including connecting with other people. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of hear a little bit in like, the question I think the, I, I wasn't here when you asked the question but it was something like what have you been up to during the quarantine or something like that mm-hmm. and and uh that I hear you giving a lot of answers that like that some of the things that we've been doing that have been like specifically and obviously like learning oriented in a very sort of traditional almost academic way which is interesting right because I feel like mostly actually what you've been doing during the quarantine is being online yeah which is always a tension, right? We want to kind of get the answer we think people want to hear, but yeah, it's been pretty, pretty online. And there's, there's definitely some times where it's like, wow, that was way too long. Wow. I'm really tired now. Wow, I didn't get these other things done that I needed to get done. Which we've been talking about a lot. And uh, I don't know, a philosophy, I feel like that I put my finger on this year, which is really useful is like to, you know, to choose the day and not let the day choose you, you know, and just, um, a little bit more about intention setting in that way. And I think when we've done that, it's been really great. And then we don't always do that either. Your year on computers was really awesome. I think, you know, I feel like I'm just like watching you like zip around at the beginning of getting all the, all the settings set up here, finding the link, you know, sending it over to Abby, just like, so all of that is really second nature to you now. And that's a whole form of communication that's really important to learn and get good at. Um, I think you're, yeah, I love, I never know when I ask you, you know, Hey, what have you been watching? What have you been into lately? What you're going to, it's, it, there's always something new and something fun. You're just constantly learning, going down all these like kind of interesting rabbit holes, (laughs) um, and encountering all kinds of content, good and bad, and like trying to parse what's useful and what's not. and uh, yeah, and, and you've been having just like a ton of fun and building really deep relationships, if you like. Like, I feel like your relationships with a few of your friends right now are like so substantial in a way that, I don't know, they're kind of like skimming the surface when we're seeing each other just live more. 
So I don't know. It's been a good year on the computer. Yeah, computers have allowed me to talk to um, a few of my friends. Um, and by a few, I mean like, oh, I don't know, like seven people. No, not seven. More like more like five people to talk to uh, once or twice a week. And then there's two people who I talk to basically daily. Um, and usually, yes, we're playing video games. It is mainly just, oh, yeah, let's do this thing that we both enjoy doing. I hear your friends teaching you things all the time, right? You're like, how do I do this? And I hear you teaching your friends thing all the time. Here's how to get this done. Here's how to do this. I hear, maybe at the end of this, you're going to realize that I hear more than you think. And so, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but you know, it's worth it, it's worth it. Um, you know, but, but I also hear you like, and you're also often talking about the game and getting better at the game with each other and, and tossing around ideas. Often it's like just a lot of like boasting how awesome you are at the game or like screaming how awful you are at the game, you know? <laughs> and so you're often talking about the game, but then also you're often talking about all kinds of things. I feel like you, 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 you work out like interpersonal dynamics a lot, either between, you know, you and the other people you're talking to, or like you like replay conversations that you've had with other people and talk about what was right or wrong, what was good or bad. Sometimes maybe plot revenge. <laughs> We've done that once or twice. <laughs> yeah, we do do that a decent amount. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you started telling me about the different offerings and then like mentioned late night video gaming and immediately backpedaled and we're like, oh, that's a thing adults are afraid of is kids playing video games and being up late at night. And listening to that as a facilitator, I'm like, oh, I failed in some way. I need to readjust next time. I should have introduced my, like, how could I have come in and been like, no, it's cool. Like, I also am most creative between like midnight and 3 a.m. Like, no judgment from me on that front, you know, and video games are valuable, particularly, I think the, like to name that, being in quarantine and being in pandemic times was stressful. And so part of what video games can be really good for is like, you know, taking a break from dealing with all that and doing something else so that we're better able to keep getting through it. So like, I actually think they're super valuable. Yeah. I could have led with that. Sorry. Like for you, like, like video games are already really a normal part of your expression. Like it's just, that you're, you're kind of like living there anyway. I know I, I definitely played more video games during the pandemic. Oh yeah, um, you, you didn't know about. this. I can track your hours on how many time, on how many hours you have in Warzone. Um, you have about four hundred hours in Warzone. That's a good. That's a good pandemic. That's a pandemic. Let, let me just check really quick. Yeah. So what is Warzone? Ninety-four hours. Nice. Okay. On the dot. What have been <laughs> the hit games? Hmm? What What have your hit games been this past year? Minecraft and geometry dash i think a lot of people know what minecraft is if you don't i will explain it in a in a nutshell break tree build house gather resources kill dragon 
that's the survival mode. And then there's all these servers you can go on and make and such. Um, and then Geometry Dash, less popular game, still decently well-known, I think. Um, it's basically, in a nutshell, tiny cube, jump over spike pit to inevitable death, try to get to portal to escape hell, basically. <laughs> You've been playing a lot of like Bed Wars specifically in Minecraft. Yes, Bed Wars is a game mode where there's there's either four, two, or twelve teams, and they all go up against each other. And you have a bed. You have to defend your bed and break other teams' beds. It's basically like a last man standing kind of thing. I'm like, could just lean into the video game talk. But um, and that's tempting. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, ooh. But actually, if you're doing live streams, maybe we should chat and plan that separately. Because I get asked a lot about video games. I just had a call Monday where we talked about it for like two hours where these grownups were like, should we ban screens in our learning center? And uh, right. <laughs> Would you like to vocalize that that head shape and facial expression since this will be a podcast? No, no, bad idea. Yes, kids will probably play video games, but also it's good to have access to the internet. And it's good to play video games. And that. Um, are there from the before times or now as you're like transitioning a little bit back to in-person, are there offerings that you've really enjoyed? If I'm being honest, when I was back at school, I did only one offering, which is a history of, of pride um, as a gay pride. LGBTQIA plus pride. So that that offering was really good. But other times, basically what I would do all day, go to go to CVS with my friends, get like an iced tea, um, because that's what they wanted to do. And then go sit down at this little slightly secretive bench, not super hidden though, easily accessible, not very visited during the middle of the day bench, sit down there for like two and a half hours, do random stuff, play tetherball, go back to school. Um, and I enjoyed that. That was nice. I do wish I did more offerings. Nothing really appealed to me, though. How about like from before or things that you're hoping for next year? From before, I, re I have this vivid memory of I did a jujitsu offering because I, I knew a decent amount. I know a decent amount of jujitsu. Um. And by decent amount, I mean about three and a half years trained in jujitsu. Um, 
So I tried to do a jujitsu offering. Um, I threw on my gi um, and set up like what we call at our school Pluto mats. Um, they're like those little tiny foam pad things that can like, that are like puzzle pieces kind of. The reason we call them Pluto mats this is, a good um, start. is because there's this one kid at our school named Colin. He's like one of the class clowns of <laughs> no class schools, um, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, On so many levels. And um, he was like at um, a check and change up and everyone was referring to these mats as just the mats because they were the only mats we had at the time um and colin just said can we call these pluto mats because they're they're not really mats they're not really like big thick mats but they're not like tiles of marble basically is what he said and now we call them pluto mats just as like a joke kind of they were mats once and then they were not <laughs> certain agreements right yeah um but i remember i did this jujitsu offering set up the pluto mats um and i did this every kid i tried to I'll admit I tried to teach them a little bit of a complicated thing. Not super complicated, though. And then I did a second one next week, right? Zero kids showed up. And on the first lesson, or not lesson, offering, I should say, offering, because it was offering to teach. And anyway, um, zero kids showed up. And the first time, like, 13 kids showed up. I feel like I know why they didn't come back, but I'm not sure. I think it's just because it seemed a little bit too complicated or a lot too complicated. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, this and first impressions matter, mm -hmm. as we all know. That's really true. And I don't think I made a good first impression, so no one came back. Yeah, I've had lots of offerings like that too, where yeah, I've done it something that I'm excited about. I think is really interesting, and people come and then they don't come back, and yeah, for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah, and I've definitely been guilty of starting at a level of complexity that was not where the group was, right? Yeah, it's tricky to gauge that sometimes. It is often just have to ask like. You know, I think we're, we're used to um, a form where it's like, I'm going to do a class on this and then people show up and then you just do that class, uh, which is like the material you're ready to talk about. And I don't know, with like a lot of like new information or new skills thing, I tend to like show up and say, okay, what do you guys want to talk about? You know, and that, that usually helps. Like uh, I remember doing a geography offering once because kids were asking for it and and I had a whole thing I was going to do and then got there and, and asked them what they were interested in. And told, turns out they were really interested in a whole other aspect of things. So that we did that it turned out to be a really interesting offering, a lot of fun. And I offered it like, hey, if you want to pick a country and 
come back next time and tell us about it a little bit. A couple of students really got into that and did that. Cool. Yeah, I recognize it is a little limiting to ask about offerings specifically because it's totally valid and wonderful to spend days like going to CVS and hanging on a bench. I was asking because most of the people listening to this are facilitators. So I was wondering about your experiences facilitating or your experiences, which you both talked about a little bit, or your experiences being in a space somebody else is facilitating and what about like someone else's facilitating worked for you? Which I mean, Zed, you said the Pride History offering was good, which like that's also super interesting content, right? <laughs> but that's something you're passionate about and really kind of connected to. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed offering offering just doing like improv or theater or game playing, you know, of, of um, and board games and just kind of all all kinds of that. Where I don't know, rather than bringing content and just bringing structure, you know, and, and uh, setting, you know, just setting up a time and a place and a, some, some other forms of a box to explore within. And then we have a blast playing improv or playing uh, in, uh, board games or playing football or playing, you know, whatever we're playing. Yeah. And then, yeah, often I, I, <laughs> When it's more content offerings, it tends to be stuff that I'm just like interested in and want to dig into. And sometimes people come along. Remember like 8 million years ago before the pandemic? <laughs> like, do you remember any like, like offerings it. that you used to like and why? I really like the improv games. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I was a little bit biased on that because you you teach improv you taught yeah you taught improv at uu for a while um that was the church we were talking about earlier i remember you taught improv there mm -hmm. and then i did that a lot and i was like oh this is super fun so i feel like i was a little bit biased in that but I enjoyed it, just interact. Doing it with kids was so much more interesting than doing it with like people who are at least 15 years older than me at all times. Yeah, I, I do think kids, I'm not saying that adults have a bad imagination, but I do think kids, if they did more improv, like if improv was a more, I guess widely available thing then it would be like oh kids can have a lot of fun doing this yeah i find a tendency for like adults when they play improv they need they really need things to make sense and that's important right like if we're going to play a game and i need this to make sense and that, and that becomes part of the fun of the game is on the fly trying to take these random things that are happening and then make make them make sense that isn't to say that we don't throw in new elements and take things on a twist and do all of that but that Ultimately, you know, adults when they're playing really want a, a sensible story to come out. And I find that, yeah, often like kids don't care about that at all. You know, they don't, it doesn't need to make any sense. What it needs to be is like silly or funny or active or energetic in some way. Like that's, that's what's really important. And so those are, they can be at odds when, when kids and adults are trying to make the game what, you know, what they need or what they want. 
yeah. a lot of times there will be kids who are just like <laughs> whenever we're doing improv um and then other times there will just be the older kids who are like calm and collected and like try to make it pretty comedic but not like oh my god my pants exploded and now i'm pooping everywhere <laughs> yeah usually it becomes about poop or pants exploding yeah or one of the older ish kids will end up stabbing somebody yeah violence often turns to violence classic so do you have tricks for when you are trying to do improv with people and you notice um either that members of the group aren't giving cues like they're not all in or if you notice that members are stuck and having trouble with receiving cues Mm -hmm. uh i do feel like when that ends up happening i'll be like oh hey this is happening help me fix this problem in this improv scene and then they'll just jump on it or or i'll be like so what have you been doing and then they'll jump in on that or hmm i don't know what to do in the imp not in like uh i cannot think of any cues but in like an improv kind of way like god some sand would be really nice right now <laughs> yeah i i those are a few of my tactics but then again just a game no big deal yeah i mean there's uh depending on the crowd there's all kinds of different games to play that have different requirements in that way where you know, it isn't like leaning on you to decide when it's your turn to jump in. The game's coming at you and you have to play, you know, um, then uh, so understanding what the group is ready for in that way feels really good. You know, yeah. Is it a game like a, a game like, you know, zip, zap, zap or something like that? You can't you can't choose when you're playing. You just have to wait and be ready. And that there's a lot of more active, imaginative improv games that are are like that, where like the game's going to come at you and you have to be ready and, and jump in and play versus like the games where it's like waiting, you know, creating space, waiting for you to jump in. And then you have to decide when you're ready to, which is another skill. It's a whole nother skill. Uh, switching things up all the time is really useful. Like having just a, a whole bunch of ways to like change the game in the moment, you know, adding a new rule or dynamic or dimension to the game. Okay. Now backwards go, you know, and just like, Improv is great like that because it's just like it's everyone knows that they're ready to like respond to whatever's happening. And and so it's it is an opportunity where you can like change the structure of what's happening immediately and um and shift it up. Also, like changing constantly who's in charge is is pretty useful, like handing facilitation of it over to somebody else, particularly someone who isn't feeling very powerful or someone who has like a ton of energy and isn't giving enough room to play. If you hand them facilitation, then all of a sudden they're getting everybody to play. And that's um, a good way to use someone's over overdrive of energy. Keeping an eye, of course, for when everyone else is getting tired of that and then shifting it up again. Yeah, changing rapidly often is good. I like games where like that have room for the participants not to only invent content, but to invent the rules uh, as they go, you know, and to kind of change the structure of the game as they're building it. Those games with kids especially tend to be really successful. 
adults that that's a thing you have to work on. You really have to work on that skill of like adding rules to the game and inviting them to and encouraging it. And that that's hard. Kids get that right away and they really like it. Usually the rules are you always have to say yes. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's yes, like an overall and... improv principle. Yes. It's like, yeah, you just yes, say yes. And, and a good life principle. Is... Just to say yes. yes to what's happening. Yes. And let's not. I found a loophole. Yes. And let's not do that. Or you could say yes. And the beach balls are exploding. <laughs> Why is that the first thing that came to my mind? I'm glad that you just said the first thing that came to your mind. That's a good skill too, rather than editing it. Although now you're editing it a little bit. How would the beach balls be exploding exactly? That's not your problem. You just put it out there. They're exploding. Oh my God. You let your team solve it. Why are those beach balls exploding? They must be full of hydrogen. Or a grenade. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's allowed to go on the terms of service of whatever thing you're posting on, but. Are you having feelings about being on the internet talking about grenades and exploding beach balls? I'm I'm not uncomfortable with it. I'm just wondering, I just think it might be against like the terms of service. I'm fascinated by that. Can I, that, that often with, when you're on the internet, you're streaming that you're very aware of this like authority that's sitting out there, you know, ready to censor you. Well, I have to be. Yeah. My favorite part of the Twitch TOS, which stands for terms of service, um, you're not allowed to commit any local, statewide, national, or international crimes on Twitch. Sure, they have to say that, right? Which is fair. Well, you know. Don't want anyone getting any ideas. There are, yeah, well, there's, there are all kinds of different levels of jurisdiction, right? And they have to be able to cover their butts later. Ah, you didn't do this. Well, you know, you Timmy. broke the con- Geneva Convention on, on Twitch. So we're taking you off. Timmy shouldn't have committed 49 acts of arson. Ooh, Timmy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's national. Probably depends on what you're burning. <laughs> I mean, we could get into which, which markets they make their terms of service agreements based on and like when it's like oh we don't actually feel like changing our algorithm based on place but i'm curious zed about where you are getting your ideas and information about like how to be watching yourself and what to look out for i read the terms of service and then usually i will have it open on another like tab on my browser while i'm streaming You'll have the terms of service pulled up on your browser? Yes. That's thorough. Wow. I will have my chat pulled up. I will have my moderator bot pulled up. Mm -hmm. And I will have the terms of service pulled up. Mm -hmm. Just so that, huh, that thing in chat you said doesn't seem right. I'm going to just check this out real quick. Or, huh, me accidentally lighting this painting of peppers back here on fire doesn't seem like a good thing to have on twitch whenever i think i've broken the terms of service and the term or the terms of use i'll just check it out that's because you think twitch is going to ban you or whatever probably not but still just in case well i appreciate that because it's actually on my account so (laughs) so thanks for being so careful and also maybe don't have to be so careful. 
when you're on YouTube or Roblox, like your other platforms, are you as thorough? Um, I'm not super big on Roblox or YouTube or on Twitch, but I feel like Twitch is more strict about their guidelines. I hear some some Minecraft server hosts are pretty strict. Have you had any experiences? Um, They're very strict about hacking. Like if you or someone on your friends list gets caught hacking on this server, you will get banned. One of my friend's friends hacked on Hypixel, the biggest server in Minecraft, and then they all got banned for three years, three and a half years. They all? Everyone associated with that per the person who was hacking got permanently banned, and then everyone else got banned for three and a half years. So they're very strict about that. Wow. So just like because they knew someone who was hacking? Well, they they knew and played with a lot. They're also pretty strict about what you say in chat. Mm -hmm. They don't do a lot, surprisingly enough, about like racism or homophobia or xenophobia or transphobia or other stuff like that they they're just like okay you said this mildly sexually related thing you're you cannot speak in chat for a week now Hmm. so they're worried much more about sex than hate yeah i have experienced homophobia on hypixel a lot i've been called the f slur two different times in a bed wars game I've been in a lobby filled with a bunch of homophobic and racist people Mm. um, who said BLDM implying black lives don't matter. Mm. And then was like, JK, 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 black lives do matter, but gays don't. Mm. Um, And then I was like, homophobic. And then I was like, you're being super homophobic. And they're like, haha, gay. And I'm like, I am though. And they're like, lol, and then called me a dumb homosexual and the F-slur, which Hypixel did absolutely nothing about. And there were like 40 people in that lobby. And now I know I should have reported those people, but I didn't. Yeah, it's awful what they were saying. Terrible. Video game online video game spaces can be really toxic, right? Really full of all kinds of hate and, um, and, and kind of violence and aggression almost in, in language. And There is a lot of studies about this. I, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head, but there is this effect in psychology where people feel more free to say stuff when they're behind a screen. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. But like in these anonymous places, it's easier to be, to say the most, or to be like a, a worse version of yourself or maybe a version of yourself. Uh, yeah. Some other version of yourself that is less accountable to people. And so it's more fun to hold power over others by hurting them. Yeah. There's, because moderation on the internet is consistently not 
centering the needs of a lot of the like queer and racially minoritized humans that I work with, specifically young humans. I hear a lot of kids having experiences like you described, Zed, which like, I'm sorry that happened. And it sucks that it's normal. And your comment about, oh, now I know I should have reported those people is something I've heard too, as like our kids are trying to figure out like, if the moderators won't protect me, how do I pick when to stay in a space or go to a different game? And when do I block people? All that kind of stuff. Like, how did you learn to report people or whatever other hacks you have? Um, well, there are commands listed on the Minecraft servers I play to tell them, hey, if someone's doing a bad thing, report this person and then let our moderators and our built-in robots that help with this stuff do the rest. Or there's this new thing on Hypixel called Atlas, which is basically someone reports someone to Atlas and then a real human judges whether or not this person should or should not, should or should not get banned. And then there's also, there's these pop-ups sometimes that say, this robot has banned 42,000 people in the past seven days for doing such and such. If you have a problem, report it to our robot. So it's mainly just like pop-ups and people telling you, um, like on forums and YouTube and stuff, how to report these people and what you should look out for. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm aware I've been keeping you for a really long time, but I haven't asked at all about your road trip. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what questions do you, do you have? I want to know if you had agreements that you made together before heading out and how you made your plan and how you made choices. And if you have any highlights or stories of like something going in a very unexpected way. We have a lot of stories, but I will start out with your, I'll, I'll try and go from beginning to end. Um, we did not have any agreements. It was all just, we're going on a one month road trip, pack your bags, be prepared. <laughs> um, so a lot of- Wait, wait, was the be prepared that open or were there specifics in it? We did a lot of planning beforehand. We like thought yeah. it out. We decided, we were really clear that we, on this trip, going out, I think that we were going to not drive too much each day that we were going to camp and that it was gonna be hard. <laughs> and, but that, but it also fun, you know, try to talk about that a bit. Does that make sense? Does that feel true? Yeah. That we were gonna play disc golf a lot along the way. We were gonna, you know, we plotted out all kinds of courses we were gonna play at. Found like a list of like the best courses across the country and saw how many of them were sort of close to our route. And that actually helped dictate our route. But of course, like so many agreements that broke down we got out, we did some disc golfing in the first three days, four days. Yeah. And which is really fun for Z and I, 
and Maddie, who is much shorter and much more interested in like moving through natural spaces slowly instead of like throw the disc and walk, <laughs> was basically like, this is full. No more of this. You know, she didn't say it in those terms, but that's what she meant. <laughs> yep. And so we didn't do any more disc golf thing, right? No like, more. When I think of agreements, I think of towards the end of the trip, there was like, you had like a lot of like, I need to be by myself. <laughs> it's like the three of us were a little bit together. And I feel like oh, only we were, a little bit, like we were only together for like three and a half weeks at that point, <laughs> only a little bit. But that wasn't what we were doing. And it, it felt like, I don't know that you were felt complicated about wanting that or saying that, but we got to it. And then we like made like agreements around that. Right. And figured out some spaces together, you know, that you were going to be in this space and I was going to be in that space and I'd be over here and it's kind of giving each other some room. Like you were in the car while we were doing camp, you know, so you could hang out with your friends on the phone and stuff, even though I had to like knock on the window like 12 times because I needed different things. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, I needed my shower kit. Oh, sorry, I forgot a pole for the tent. Oh, sorry, I needed to grab food. Oh, sorry, I needed to grab water. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sounds like road trip life. Yeah. Well acquainted. <laughs> a lot of our trip was pre-planned, but in the occasion things did not go to plan we had this magical thing called calling our mother right so we were like mom we tried to camp in the shenandoah all the campsites were full and it's super dark and thunderstormy and cold and then she's like okay here's our hotel we only stayed at like four hotels i think right i'd say like a third of the nights out we were in a hotel or a yeah airbnb and two-thirds of them camping yeah so oftentimes it was either pre-planned what we were gonna do or it was like okay um help and then we got help i think we were we were doing something really well which is like kind of setting the day <laughs> pretty often like like ritual getting in the car was like talking about what was going to happen next or you know at night there would be a lot of putting the decisions out to the group I was learning the whole time like what what are the kinds of decisions that kids wanted input in and what are the kinds of decisions that there's a lot of things where it's like hey do you want to go to this amazing place or this amazing place and didn't really have enough information for the kids to choose and they're you know just were ultimately kind of like well, we'll just kind of go where you say we're going to go, which is, and which felt to me, it was like, I don't like that idea at first. And then after a while, it's like, oh no, that's really what they, what they want is like, I want to, you know, I want to talk about what we're going to eat for sure. I want to talk about what sleeping is going to be like. And, but then where we're going to go, it's like, I don't know. It's like so far so good. So let's just keep doing that. You know, you took us whitewater canoeing. Mm-hmm nine miles took us five and a half hours I knew that we were gonna do that like a day in advance and I was like oh that's not gonna be that bad our canoe almost flipped three times it filled half with water within the first 15 minutes of us out and then after that then you took us to these like naturally formed water slides and I almost got trapped underwater. 
and got kind of banged up because it was made out of stone or because the stone was cut into by the water. Yeah, that's awesome. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. The Grand Canyon was also pretty awesome. I appreciated those, like, the, the that was awesome, like, in right. that pure sense of that word, right? Yeah. I, I appreciated, like, in the river, like, the times that we, we really had moments where it's, like, from my perspective, having been in those, that kind of danger before, like, I was, like, this is fine. No, at no point did I feel like we were at the risk, but I really recognized in, in you and Maddie that as, like, oh my, that at the beginning, especially at the beginning, it was, like, oh my God, we're going to die. Like I, I could feel that feeling from you guys, you know, and then we survived it. And by the end, we were going through much bigger rapids, you know, and you guys were like singing and shouting and laughing. I remembered towards the end, I phrased us paddling, rowing, I don't know, super hard as big ice cream scoops. And towards the end, when it was like super hard rapids, I was like, okay, let's name scoops vanilla. Moose tracks, mint <laughs> chocolate chip, regular chocolate, <laughs> strawberry. <laughs> yep. We were just trying to make it like, okay, we did pretty intense stuff and now we know what to do and how to handle ourselves. We're not actually gonna die. What? Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> and I think yeah. even after you banged yourself up and felt like you know thrust underwater by the currents you still went again i did yeah i right? did still go again it's, it's kind of cool i think to watch i like those moments where it's like you got through something that was really hard and felt sort of dangerous and then next time you have a better sense of what it actually is right yeah and now because of that natural water slide i'm like man i should do one of those like drop in water slides i remember like a couple of the campsites that we went to were beautiful but sort of a pain in the butt to get into totally like our first night we had to you know we we're trying to do car camping pull up open the trunk put set up the tent there was like uh the first site that we went to i didn't really notice or know that it involved like a 200 yard sort of schlep across a bridge across the river over to the site and this was like our first night and we couldn't really find the site initially the directions were sort of terrible we were driving for eight hours that day yeah that was one of our longer driving days but it was like the first night we were camping so we had like a lot of like excitement and energy and like let's do this and then one of our last nights of camping our last night of camping was another site that was like far away and and not too far away but it was kind of straight uphill mm -hmm. and i remember at that moment like you were really you were like no <laughs> like this is like you were not having it. You, you were not happy about I that was, at all. I was like, get me over with this. I want to hug mom already. Jesus. But I remember I remember just that as a moment where I was like actually kind of like really mad at you for what felt like you were like complaining about it. Yeah. Rather than solving about it. And, yeah. And I feel like I that, that I feel like that, that was a really hard but important conversation that we were having about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What What do you remember or take away from that? I remember I was just like, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, noises of, I don't want to do this, but I don't have a choice, but I don't want to do this. Right. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, I've missed mom for so mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. 
and I know if she was here, it would make things so much easier, and I could just hug her. I remember feeling really that way about the Grand Canyon. We did a five-mile hike, 4.7-mile hike, Mm -hmm. with Maddie, who can only do like two miles maximum. So we did this, had to carry Maddie for like a solid quarter of it. I didn't wear tall enough socks, so I got blisters. We got to the end and we were like, oh God, we need food and we need to use the bathroom. We did that and then Maddie started feeling sick. She was just very hangry. So what we ended up doing, we were going to catch a shuttle and like get back to the car, go grab some food. The shuttle routes were closed. So what we ended up having to do is hike for another mile. Oh, it was way over a mile. We got some food and dad did the rest of the walking, got the car and picked us up from like this restaurant. And I was just miserable the entire time. It was like, oh my God, let me get out of this, please. It was fun, but hectic nonetheless (laughs) yeah in the moment it didn't really feel fun like a lot of that day felt fun but that part felt really hard I remember and I think we were really glad we were done with it (laughs) we were like okay that was fun let's not do that again yeah that was a good plan until like the shuttles weren't there yeah I mean that's like kind of a I feel like a classic and necessary part of any road trip right is the one day where you're like we have a plan there's an obstacle. Okay. An obstacle. Okay. And then you get just like one too many and you're like, oh my God, I'm so done. And then you have to figure out, do I need to vent before I can problem solve? Are the other frustrated people with me, the people to vent to, or are they also upset? We need to like all go, you know, vent to like a tree or a squirrel or something and then regroup. Like, yeah, I feel like for me, there's like a couple moments that if like the five years ago me went on this trip that I would have sort of muscled through a lot of that I would have dragged you guys kind of through that a little bit but what we did instead is we just stopped and we rested for a long time for like 45 minutes and regrouped um and that you know that was and that was good and you were so good with her like that that moment in the Grand Canyon when Maddie got sick and that you know you were really supportive of her and yeah, it's just definitely the moment of like, oh, this is the person who needs our attention now. And everything just sort of slowed down and stopped. And we moved at Maddie pace for a while. And then I'm thinking about like that time of dragging things up the hill where, you know, I might have just like not dealt with your upset, you know, and just like, okay, you're upset. I'll do all the dragging. But so we like slowed down and we talked for a while. And then we took the time to decide together that we this is what we're doing. And then I feel like you really kind of pitched in and got it done. It was hard to like, I think in that moment, like decide together, no, this is, this is what's happening and this is what we're doing. And it doesn't have to, like, it was like legitimately we're talking about, well, we could figure out how to get another site. We could go to a hotel, you know, there were other options. And then we decided together to like dig deep and do that, that climb up that hill. That was a big moment for me anyway, of watching you figure out that and working together to decide that we're going to do that. I mean, the other part about that, like being 
pretty inevitable on a road trip is the like after part where if you do figure it out successfully, then you're like, oh, this relationship is different. Oh, my sense of myself and capabilities are different. That sunset was really great. Yeah. I'm struck by a moment after the trip, the road trip, where I can't remember what it was, but there was like something, something that was happening that we were doing that we had to get in the car and go somewhere. And we hadn't really told you about it. We just went, we just got in the car and went. This is after we got home from the road trip. And I remember that you were so really upset by that. Oh, I wasn't upset. I was just like, oh my God, wait, I wasn't listening earlier today. And I was like, oh my God, I was having basically like a uh, emotional overload. Yeah. But I don't think that I was like sad in that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Gotcha. The emotional overload. I that, that that I was I was feeling that for me for sure. And I was just thinking about like how methodical and careful we were about as the trip was happening, about constantly going over what was going to happen, and that we were very much part of the plan. And that we would talk about the plan, and then we would call someone. You would tell them about the plan, and it was like good to good to have these like multiple passes at the plan, and and to to kind of tell the story to each other about what the plan is a lot. And that somehow in our regular life, when we got back here, some of that got short-circuited. And I felt like how, how, how distressing it can be to like think you know what the plan is, but you don't. I didn't notice how important that was before, I guess. Yeah. Well, not having to check your assumptions constantly, which like is part of the return home. And I'm curious to see how it shows up um, as more of us are returning to our spaces next year is like when your only assumption is that things will continue to change, you make plans and communicate kind of constantly in these small iterations. Right. Um, but once we start assuming like, Oh, we know how this is. Sometimes we don't, right. We lose that. I'm really excited about in so many ways, the moment of coming back from a pandemic as like, you know, I feel like this is happening at every level, like in our family, at our school, at our church, at our, in our city, in our country, like the, just the asking of like, what do we do before that we really need? <laughs> and what do we do before that we've learned that we don't need? What are these like rituals that we're, we were attached to and doing that are serving a purpose that doesn't exist in the same way anymore, or doesn't exist at all anymore? And like, how can we kind of like reshape what the, our, our day looks like? I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah I guess I, I, I really what I, what I love about the road trip is like we did things we did a lot of things that were really hard and really different and that was great and so just like creating opportunities I'm, I'm thinking towards that like how to kind of create opportunities to, to do things that are hard and different and yeah a lot of growing a lot of changing all right so thank you thank you thank you are there any uh, people or resources that you want to shout out? Typically, this question is like, you know, about people and resources that have been helpful for you as a facilitator, but also it can just be open. Slack. You say Slack? Yeah. Google calendars, Zoom. My dad. My dad. I want to <laughs> shout out my dad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to think about that question right now. You know, I feel like that there's a lot of resources I've I've read before, AMB and Akiva and, and digging bell hooks a ton recently. 
don't know, I guess what, what for some reason, what that makes me think of is like, I've loved in a lot of this last year, a lot of the facilitating I've ended up doing, like not at, at school, not at ALC, but just like a lot of, uh, you know, I teach in the theater community a lot and teaching online in theater is, you know, its own beast for sure. And, and there was like, and there's Facebook groups and there's like a need. And then I'm like, say, let's have a meeting. And all of a sudden there's like this huge international meeting with hundreds of people talking about it. And it's just like um, the, the need and the use and power facilitation for moments like this, where we're going to need to form communities that are powerful quickly and often this pandemic is I don't think the last world changing thing that my kids are going to experience or be through and to have the community building tools that that facilitation provides is like pretty cool and pretty useful you know I knew that and just sort of glad to see that in practice I'll also say like with a lot of the families that I'm around it's clear that like our sort of family philosophies and the way that kids are already set up actually made transitions of our new life during the pandemic felt to, to felt to me for our family pretty easy you know pretty smooth that we we're ready to kind of adjust to what needed to happen and we were ready to to think about things differently quickly but there wasn't a lot that we were holding on to tightly because it's that holding on tightly that causes a lot of tension sometimes or damage even yeah, I don't have good new resources right now. It's good to, to practice in different ways, I guess. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you.